to the KC City Church Audio Podcast. We pray you enjoy this following sermon. Thank you, Rachel and Romeo. God bless you, KC City Church. Uh, welcome to Sunday service. We're excited that you're with us today. Hope you've got your Bibles and something to write with, maybe something to take notes with. Uh, got a, I'm really excited about the word that we have for you today. Uh, we're continuing our series, Imagine More, focusing on the miracles of Jesus, uh, particularly in the Gospel of Luke. I want to start off with just a, a quick prayer this morning, um, but uh, let's let's read real quick from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 15 to 17. I'll go with verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So as as we study God's word today, it's going to not only equip you, it's going to begin to come into your heart, encourage you, strengthen you, guide you, lead you, and even correct you. I want you just to relax today, allow God's word to come and have its way in your life, in your heart, and in your homes. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for today. Holy Spirit, we welcome you uh, into our homes. Come and minister to us, guide us, and lead us into all knowledge. We're looking to you for miracles. We just lift up any needs today, Lord, that you would come and meet every need, but that faith would begin to rise within each heart of each believer that there would be an increase in faith today and that we would see a move, a miraculous move of your hand and of your spirit today in our lives and in our homes, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're looking at the miracles of Jesus, and today our core passage is in Luke chapter 4. We're going to go from about verse 14 to verse 31. This is an amazing passage, and I would title this message, A Tale of Two Cities. This is the tale of Nazareth, which is Jesus' hometown, and the city of Capernaum an interesting city on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. We're going to learn about these two places today. But as much as it's a tale of two cities, it's also a tale of familiarity. How familiarity can breed contempt. And we see that happen in this passage today. But also, contrasted against that familiarity, we see how acceptance, how an open home can actually welcome Jesus in for who he is. So as we look at this scripture today, just be aware we're comparing familiarity versus faith. We're comparing dishonor versus honor. We're looking at how acceptance carries with it an expectancy and a hope that's really important to us. And right at the end, we're going to take a look at uh, Peter. As much as Nazareth was Jesus' hometown, Capernaum was Peter's hometown. So we're really looking at two hometown boys. So 
as we begin our, our passage in verse uh, 14. Let's just read it here. It says, uh, Jesus, after being baptized in the Holy Spirit, going into the wilderness for 40 days uh, to be tempted there, uh, coming out, it says in verse 14 that Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee and news of him went out throughout all the surrounding region. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And verse 16 says, so he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. So Jesus has been making his way to Nazareth. Rumor about him has begun to spread. He's been going into synagogues and he's been teaching there and he's been performing signs and wonders and miracles. So what was he teaching in those synagogues? Well, we get an insight into it today. It says in verse 17, And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Now, the prophet Isaiah lived about 700 years before Jesus. And he prophesied many things about who Messiah would be, what Messiah would do. Uh, there was no excuse for anyone in the nation of Israel, any Jewish person who had attended synagogue on a regular basis and had listened to teaching and scripture and had read the book of Isaiah, they were without excuse to not be able to recognize Messiah. And so Jesus takes this passage that they must have heard so many times. And this passage comes from Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. You can go and check it out for yourself. But Jesus reads it. This is not uh, a far off 700 years from now Messiah is going to say this. No, this is Jesus, Messiah, standing in his hometown synagogue and reading this as his own words. This is his declaration of who he is and what is actually happening here and now in this moment in his hometown, in his home synagogue. Verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. This is most likely the prophetic declaration he was reading in synagogues throughout the region of Galilee on his way to Nazareth. He had performed miracles after teaching in the synagogues. Rumor had begun to spread. I'm sure his hometown of Nazareth had heard about their hometown boy and something that he was doing that was different. So how did they respond? What happened to them as they listened? Well, verse 20 says that he closed the book. He gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and it says that all eyes of those who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. Hang on to that word fixed. You, you could take that word fixed and, and, and render it as fastened. 
We're going to come back to that in just a second. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What he's saying is today, this 700-year-old scripture that Messiah would say was just fulfilled in your ears. You were here, and you just heard it. But their eyes were fixed on him. You know that word fixed or fastened is the exact same Greek word that's used to describe how a viper or a snake will bite its prey and hang on to it. No, they they were looking at him with daggers. It was like, who do you think you are? And we see what's in their heart. We see it revealed. In verse 20, it says, So all bore witness to him and marveled at how gracious his words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? That was what was in their heart. That's why they were fastened on him like this. Is who do you think you are? I know you. You grew up in this town. I know your father. I know your mother. I know your brothers and sisters. No, no, no. You cannot be the Messiah. This familiarity, who they thought he was, shut down who he really was. For them, he would only be that hometown boy. For them, he could not be their Messiah. For them, there could be no miracles. For them, this proclamation meant nothing. They would see no healing of the brokenhearted. They would experience no proclamation of liberty to the captives. They would experience no recovery of sight to the blind. They would experience no one who was oppressed being set free in their midst. They would not experience the acceptable year of the Lord. They would not experience it because their unbelief familiarity had brought unbelief into their hearts and it set in their hearts like concrete like a stone inside of their hearts how about you do you think you know Jesus maybe you've never read the Bible never been to church before you're just watching this video for the first time and granddad read the Bible once and he told you about Jesus and you know all you need to know I got to tell you I'm here to tell you there's more to Jesus than you know about him I've been studying this word for well over 28 years been studying it and I discover new things every day this acceptable year of the Lord that Jesus proclaimed claimed is an unfolding revelation that creates expectancy that draws faith up within your heart. I've seen miracles in my life. I've seen the oppressed set free, set at liberty. I've seen the blind recover their sight. I was blind. I could not see my own sin. And Jesus opened my eyes one day, changed everything. I've seen captives set free. I've seen the broken hearted healed. And I've seen the poor receive the gospel with hungry hearts. How's your heart today? How is your heart today? Let's read on what happened here. Jesus knew what was going on in their hearts. He knew that their eyes, like vipers' fangs, were clenched onto him, and they were rejecting him in their hearts. And he makes another prophetic declaration to them. He says in verse 23, 
you will surely say this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Well, this was said to Jesus while he hung upon the cross. Jesus, who had performed all of these miracles, but willingly went to the cross and endured it for the joy that was set before him. And he further said, whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. This is what they're going to say to him in the days to come from this point onward, because Jesus is declaring to them, you've rejected me today. I'm going to go to Capernaum, and they're going to receive me. They're going to open their homes to me. They're going to accept me. And a revelation of who I really am is going to unfold before them. This prophetic declaration is going to be fulfilled in their hearing and in their sight. They're going to experience these things and you're going to wish that they had happened here. Jesus goes on in verse 24. And he gives them a final prophetic warning. Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. They're going to say, why don't you do these miracles in your own home country? And he's going to say, no prophet is welcome in his home country. No, they had rejected him. And you can read from verse 25 going all the way down to verse 27. Jesus points them to Elijah. Even though there were many people who needed assistance in Elijah, the prophet's day, there was only the, the widow of Zarephath who welcomed Elijah into her home. She made room for him. Elisha the prophet, there were many lepers in Elisha's time, but it was only Naaman who was healed, and he wasn't even Jewish. This enraged them. You know, that stone of familiarity that had just formed and set like concrete in their heart enraged them. The leaders of the synagogue, everyone there rose up. They drove him out of the synagogue. They drove him out of town and they took him to the precipice of a hill to throw him off headlong. They wanted to kill him. Jesus, we reject you as Messiah and we're going to make sure that nobody else gets to receive you as Messiah and a miracle happened. He just walked through their midst. Passing through the midst of them, he went his way, and his way led him to his next port of call. His next port of call was the port city of Capernaum. Jesus went to Capernaum, and we pick up this story there. Let's, let's look at Capernaum. Well, Jesus went into Capernaum and he taught in their synagogues on the Sabbath and people were astonished at his teaching. Catch this. They were amazed. They didn't reject him. They sat in awe. He was unfolding before them. I'm sure he read Isaiah 61. I'm sure he was reading this prophetic declaration in every synagogue he went into. And it provoked them to believe to accept him. It created an expectancy within those accepting hearts. Jesus was welcomed not only into Capernaum, the town, not only into the synagogue, but into their homes. You know, familiarity is a faith killer. 
an absolute killer. But let's listen and learn a little bit about this city of Capernaum. Capernaum was an amazing city. Nazareth was a little backwater, isolated, extremely religious town. Capernaum was a trade city. It had the major, the largest port on the Sea of Galilee was in Capernaum. Capernaum sat on this major roadway that ran from Egypt all the way to Damascus up in Syria. People came from all over North Africa, up all the way into the northern parts of the Middle East. They came from all around. They traveled through there. Capernaum was a place filled with tourists, filled with business people. There was even a Roman regiment that was garrisoned there. So important was the city of Capernaum. That road was called the Via Maris. It was a major roadway. Today, you can go to Capernaum, and they've put bitumen down over that road, but it's the same roadway. It leads from Egypt all the way up to Damascus. In Capernaum, they not only heard Jesus, but they listened to him and they saw the miracles. They accepted his prophetic declaration in Isaiah 61. They made room for Jesus, and as a result, there was an unfolding revelation of him and created expectancy. They were experiencing the unfolding of the acceptable year of the Lord. This was happening in their midst. As a matter of fact, they accepted him so much that Capernaum became Jesus' base of operation there. They received an abundance of overflow of the power of God displayed there amongst them. And Jesus even picked up a couple of disciples, Peter, James, John, Matthew, just to name a couple in Capernaum. Most of Jesus' miracles were performed in and around Capernaum. Capernaum was important. Something happens in your life when you welcome Jesus as Messiah into your life. When you take him at, your, at his word, then you're changed. Your life, your home, your family becomes a place where miracles happen. You become the very hands and feet that carry the good news to the poor. You can see with your own eyes the healing of the brokenhearted. You can see those who are captive experience liberty for the first time. And the blind, those who have never seen, whether with their eyes or with their heart, have never seen before, see for the first time. And the oppressed set free. You get to be the carrier of the acceptable year of the Lord. What a message to carry. How beautiful are your feet upon the hills and the sidewalks, in the neighborhood, in the hallways, everywhere you go. Oh, hallelujah. Can I get a hallelujah in the comment section? <laughs> Let's just run down a quick list of the miracles that happened in Capernaum. 
This is a short list. These are just the ones listed in the Gospel of Luke. These are not the ones from John and from Matthew and Mark. There were so many more. At the end of the Gospel of John, it says that, look, if everything that Jesus did was written down, there wouldn't be enough room on the planet to actually store all the volumes that would have to be written. You know, Jesus is still doing miracles today. The volumes aren't done being written. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. In Luke 4, one of the first miracles we see Jesus perform is in the synagogue. I imagine it is on the day where maybe he read that proclamation from Isaiah 61. There was a notable man, a famous man in Capernaum, who was delivered of an unclean spirit. And then in the very next miracle, we see Jesus being invited to Peter's house because Peter's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and Jesus went there and healed her. And she got up and cooked a meal. Peter not only welcomed Jesus into his house, he broke bread with him. Hallelujah. We can learn from Peter. And it goes on in verses 40 and 41, Jesus healed many sick and demonized people. Again, that proclamation, Isaiah 61, playing out in the very eyes of the people who had accepted Jesus into their midst, welcomed him into their homes. Another one for Peter, and we're going to look at this just at the end, but just to touch on it, there was a miraculous catch of fish in Luke 5. Peter, James, and John were in business together. They'd had a rotten night out fishing. They helped Jesus for just one moment briefly and were richly rewarded for the best day of business of their life. He took their worst day and turned it into their best day. Hallelujah. That is Jesus. That's what the acceptable year of the Lord does. In verses 12 and 15 in chapter 5, we see a leper who's healed. Verses 17 to 26, we see a paralyzed man healed. We see a man in Luke 6 with a withered hand. His hand is made normal in the very sight of people. A deformed hand becoming normal right before their eyes. In Luke 7, the centurion who was commanding the garrison, most likely, stationed there in Capernaum, who had heard and probably seen a few of these miracles, his servant whom he dearly loved, was sick and unwell, and Jesus healed him. Said of the centurion, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. Something happens when you accept Jesus faith comes, this centurion, this uncircumcised centurion standing before Jesus, this Gentile centurion, not a religious man, not a Jewish man, unacceptable to the culture, there to oppress, and Jesus says of him, I haven't seen faith like this. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Luke 8, Jesus calmed the storm just a little ways off from the shoreline, a storm. Read it for yourself. Jesus speaks to the wind and to the waves. And I want to pause here just at the end of Luke 8. I want to pull out two people who receive a miracle, who've heard the report, who have seen it. One of them is a leader from the Capernaum synagogue. His name is Jairus. And another is a lady who remains unnamed. But she suffered terribly. 
Iris, his daughter, was deathly ill. She was on her deathbed. He came, the leader of the synagogue, came to Jesus and said, my daughter's deathly ill, you gotta come. Jesus got up and went with him, but the crowds, Jesus needed crowd control. Imagine that in this big bustling city of Capernaum, he was just surrounded everywhere that he went. People had expectancy, they followed him because they were expectant in their hearts. What is he gonna do next? What is he gonna say next? Do you have that kind of expectancy? Is your walk with Jesus an adventure or have you become familiar? Has he become familiar to you? Oh, I hope not. I hope this word today is stirring something in your heart. Jesus is ever new. From eternity past to eternity future, unchanging and infinite. It's going to take eternity just to get to know him. Jesus on his way to heal Jairus' daughter. The crowd's pressing in on him, everybody bumping into him. There's a woman who had suffered with an issue of blood, probably a menstrual issue. She was ceremonially unclean. She should never have been in the crowd. She should have been out on the edge of the city until her issue was resolved. She had seen physicians. She'd done everything she could, spent everything she had trying to get a cure and got nothing. And she went into the crowd where she should not be. And it says that she reached out and touched the hem of his garment. That's important. She got low and she touched the hem of his garment. That robe that Jesus wore had symbolic importance. The very hem on it was a cord and it represented the very authority of God upon him. It was a priestly robe and she touched the hem, the symbol of his authority. And healing virtue flowed through him like lightning through a lightning rod. Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, who touched me? They're like, are you kidding? Who touched you? Everybody's touching you. He goes, no, no. Someone touched me in faith. And she stood up and said, it was me. And he said, your faith has made you whole. Your faith matters. If you don't have faith in Jesus, then you can't access the authority that is in the name of Jesus. Faith is important. I hope faith is beginning to rise in you. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. She was healed and Jesus pressed on to Jairus' house, but by the time he got there, the daughter had died again. Uh, you see a picture of how important faith is when a miracle needs to happen when there's a need and someone needs God to perform a miracle. They're needing it. Faith matters. The girl had died by the time Jesus got there. When Jairus heard the report, Jesus said two things to him, three things really. Fear not, only believe, and you will see. Fear not, only believe, and you will see. It's fairly simple, but surrounding that scene, there were a bunch of people going, you've got to be kidding, she's dead. They were doubting, they were casting doubt upon it. And you know what, Jesus, Jesus allowed Peter, James, and John, his three key disciples, and Jairus and his wife into the room. He kicked everybody out. All the doubters, he kicked them out. There was only room in that room where Jairus' daughter was laying dead. There was only room in that room for those who could believe, for those who could accept him as a miracle-working Messiah. 
and she was raised up, Jesus said, Talitha Kume, and she rose up off that bed, and she was alive. Jesus told them to feed her. Faith matters. And you know, God is good with your journey. Let's look at the journey of Peter. Let's just touch on a couple of key points. You can go and and look at this for yourself. But Peter was a hometown Capernaum boy. He lived there. He grew up there. He worshiped in the synagogue, the gathering place. His house was there. You can still go to Peter's house today. It's still there. The remains of the synagogue, still there. The remains of the port, still there. The Via Maris, the road that went past, still there. Still testaments to the validity of this passage. And Peter was in business there, as you know. He was a fisherman with James and John. They were partners together. Peter had welcomed Jesus into his house, broke bread with him after he healed his mother. And then in one key passage in Luke 5, where Jesus is being pressed upon again, another crowd pressing in on him, and he's right up against the water, against the shoreline, and he comes up to Peter's boat. They just had a rotten night fishing, caught nothing, and Jesus jumped up into Peter's boat and said, push out just a little bit. Give me a little bit of space from the people. And Jesus began to teach. He began to speak to the people. And when he was done, Jesus, who's no man's debtor, rewarded Peter by saying, push out a little bit deeper, you guys. Take your boats, go out a little bit deeper, throw out all your nets and get ready for a haul. And they hauled in the mother load. Their nets were bursting. The boats were about to sink. And Peter came to faith in Christ. You can read it for yourself. He makes his declaration, and then he begins to follow Jesus from that day onward in a spirit of expectancy, following Jesus everywhere he went. And as we conclude this message, I want to ask you, is Jesus welcome in your home? Do you pass the familiarity test? Do you pass that test? Or are you fixed in your familiarity in your heart? Do you think you know everything you need to know about Jesus? I guarantee you that you do not. Are you experiencing an unfolding revelation of Jesus? Do you have an expectancy that, yes, God can do something that you never believed he could do before, but today it's possible? You know, faith for the believer matters. It determines your outcome. Faith for the unbeliever matters. It determines their outcome. I want to read to you Jesus' prophetic declaration again. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. Just open your heart. Close your eyes. Open your heart. And listen to Jesus' words. Let him speak into your heart today. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he's anointed, he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He's sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable 
year of the Lord. This is the acceptable year of the Lord. This is it. In the middle of coronavirus and everything that's been going on, this is the acceptable year of the Lord. He's more than your need. That hope that's begun to rise within you as the word's gone out today, let it turn to faith. Let it turn to expectancy. The things you don't understand, let them turn to wonder and amazement. But you allow that expectancy to begin to rise. If you've been weary, there is rest for your soul today. Oh, you can rest in the middle of this storm. You can trade that stone that's been in your heart for the love that God wants to place there through his Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 5 from about verse 5 to 7 says, And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. To fill our hearts with his love. When we were utterly hopeless, utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. He died for you and I that we would know the reality of that prophetic declaration in Isaiah 61. Will you receive it today? Will you accept it today? God bless you, church.